I'm Kyle Thompson, and you're listening to General Intellect Unit. And this time we are uh, discussing Act 2 of Kentucky Route Zero. Um, usual rigmarole, if you didn't catch the first episode, go back one, uh, all that sort of stuff. You're adults, you can figure this out. Um, but Act 2, wow, real fucking weird, weird act of, the, of this um of, the, of this uh, of this game you know yeah uh absolutely it's it's uh something i can't say i enjoyed replaying very much uh because um this is an act that just deals with exhaustion and bureaucracy uh in in large measure <laughs> and uh you know, it's tax season. I'm dealing with like four different bureaucracies across like a bunch of different countries, and I am utterly exhausted uh, right now. And so it was really just like adding insult to injury uh, as far as my play experience went. <laughs> First time I played it, I was a lot more chipper, so it was not an issue for me. But uh, in covid and tax season and all this crap uh it's it was it was a real slog to get through even though it's not very long it was just like oh my god i can't i just can't i can't i can't stand here and watch conway just just trudge with (laughs) grim determination through this bureaucratic hellscape any longer uh, so I had, I had to break it up into a number of different sessions. Um, yeah. Longest hour of your life, huh? Um, <laughs> yeah, pretty it's much. <laughs> it's very, yeah, you know, it's, it's not long. It's just like, it was like, okay, I did one thing. All right. going to leave that and come back to it later. Um, this act does feel pretty strange, right? In that, um, on replay, because it's, in some ways it's, it's a f- significant increase in scope and there's a lot more, of the weird and wacky stuff is coming in here and um, some really impressive scenes, but it is also very short and compared to later acts, it's pretty slim in it's like plot beats. It's like there's the, the, the opening scene sets you up for two objectives and you do them and that's kind of it. And it's, it's much less confusing and bizarre than some of the later acts will become. Um, well, I mean, yes, yes and no. Cause like, it's it's like the the plot is less bizarre in a way like in in the broad scope it's it's quite straightforward but in the particulars it, it's very surreal and i would say it makes the least sense of any of the chapters like it's it's really they really double down on surrealism in this chapter or this act sorry and uh and it uh like you're doing things and you never really understand what's going on. Like you understand what you're what you're aiming for, but as to why things are happening, like yeah, sometimes there's like bureaucratic explanations for things, but other times it's just like this is just what you do. Um, why I don't know. Nobody knows. Um, I suspect as well. There's there's one particular thing that we'll get to that I that just doesn't really have a good explanation for it in in the universe and i suspect it's actually that maybe the creators just couldn't think of a good way to move to the next scene so there's just there has to be like a hand wave explanation as to why why that happens but um 
But hey, um, I mean, it's surrealism. It doesn't matter, right? No, of course, right? <laughs> it's, it's supposed to be dream logic, mm. so whatever. It, it, that impression does land very heavily, though, and like it's when you're in it, it, it feels appropriately dreamlike and weird. Um, so it's it's uh, it's strong stuff. But um, the uh, the game, it, it, this act opens with a short prologue. Um, we get a shot of a woman sitting at a desk in what appears to be an office. Um, this is Lula Chamberlain uh, that we heard about in the previous act and in Limits and Demonstrations. Um, she's initially uh, processing a, a rejection letter uh, from the Gaston Trust for Imagined Architecture. They're rejecting a proposal for, um, uh, I'd imagine, an exhibit or something. Um, I just wanted to mention about the rejection letter. It's very strange already because the previous thing we did, Limits and Demonstrations, was like this retrospective on her illustrious artistic career and the thing we open on is a rejection letter and her working at this like dead-end bureaucratic job yeah right. so like i don't know if this is like everything is timey-wimey and like limits and demonstrations is happening far in the future after she's been a success but she's already really old here so Eh, like it's just there's no way to make sense of what's happening here. Uh, uh, no way to reconcile uh, limits and demonstrations with um, with this opening prologue. Uh, it's just already very confusing and surreal. Yeah, I think I think that's the case. It's um, I was I would have said that I thought that limits and demonstrations happened substantially in the future. Um, but you're quite right. She's rather old in this shot, and or in, in the events of this um, this day, and so it's probably both. Like it is both in the future and the past somehow. Um, very timey wimey and weird. Um, oh, I was just going to say. So we get we get to the these uh, proposal processing tasks. Yeah, and and like you don't get an explanation up front as to what the Bureau of Reclaimed Spaces is, but it's strongly implied that what it's doing is kind of reprocessing and repurposing um, derelict um, buildings and, and sites. So there's there's one proposal for turning a hospital into an auto dealership. There's a proposal for turning a distillery into a graveyard. Um, and they, they all have these like uh, justifications attached like, oh, well, the, the hospital closed down ages ago and, you know, the, the wards could be repurposed for car storage and all this kind of shit. Um, or with, with the distillery and the graveyard, it's interesting. It's like the, the, the chapel, what used to be a chapel and is now a um, cask storage unit could now could become a chapel again or something, you know? Um, no, it's, it's, it was originally a graveyard. They made it into a distillery. And now why not use the distillery as a chapel and the graveyard as a graveyard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I believe we go to this graveyard in the next act. I think so. I think this is the same place. Um, I mean, it, otherwise it would be a strange coincidence. Um, There's actually a third option as well, but you can only select two. And I just, I think both of us went from the top down. And so both playthroughs I've done, I missed the third option. Yeah. I think this is maybe the first time they do this trick where um, there's a menu of options, but there's only time to work through some of them uh, before you, before you like the next event happens, which is very like that. The thing we alluded to in the previous episode that like 
it is paced like a conversation. It is paced as if it is happening in real time. Um, because the thing that happens to interrupt Lula is that um, depending on... If, if you have Carrington as a character in your playthrough so far, Carrington will interrupt. He's standing over her shoulder and he's going to ask about his proposal uh, for a venue for his play. Um, if you don't have Carrington, it's one of the other um, bureaucrats, um, Greg or Rick or one of these folks, who just kind of interrupts for some chit-chat um, and it's 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 all kind of dour. It's a very it's a very office job kind of vibe, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, so with Carrington, um, you basically have what is it? Three suggestions you can give him, right? Uh, so which which one did you choose to to do? So I, th- I think that's later when Conway encounters encounters him. But I think at the moment. You... Oh, sorry, sorry. You're right. You're right. No, this is just this is just Lula uh, blowing off Carrington. That's right. Yeah, you can either fob him off by saying it's 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 in process, like oh, it's it's in the stack somewhere, or say that it's impossible. Um, and the, the the conversation kind of bounces once or twice back and forth, and it's just, it just kind of cuts. Then I think like it um it it, uh, it sort of it doesn't really leave on a resolution. I don't think. Um, yeah, and he kind of like um he makes some more references back to their past uh, together. Uh, and Lula is very like dour about it, and uh, uh, it's it's yeah, it's uh, it's it's never like clear like oh, it's impossible. Like why? Like if you're if you're turning hospitals into car dealerships, like why would that be impossible? It doesn't make any sense. And then like, is this just because Lula doesn't like him or? Like, is she just using her bureaucratic prerogative to just be like, nah, I don't want to bother with that? Uh, or is it just surrealist nonsense? Uh, <laughs> probably the second, but who knows? It, it, given how, um, you know, from the tapes in the previous bit, we we get a sense that, like, Lula is kind of strangely cruel and hostile to her ostensible friends in some in some cases. Now, it's hard to know if you're getting both sides of a story there, but it wouldn't it wouldn't actually surprise me from from what we know of Lula so far. It wouldn't surprise me that she just I don't know kind of kind of hates the guy somehow or whatever. Or or maybe it is just that like she knows how the bureaucracy works and that thing's just not going to get processed. Um, both seem plausible. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, exactly. I think both are possible. There's no information to clarify uh, which is correct. Yeah, uh, we are very much adrift um, with with very little information in this in this game. Um, so then we get the first first scene proper. Um, the title card is Bureau of Reclaimed Spaces, um, and Conway and Shannon are standing in front of their truck at in a pretty strange place. It's like. There's a uh, there's like a road crossing um, obstruction, like um, you know, almost like there were roadworks. And then there's we can see we can see like a, a road tunnel behind them in, but it's it's in the face of like a big red brick kind of edifice. Um, they're also standing at a dock somehow. Like this space doesn't make any fucking sense, and they're just standing there. They're lost as hell because they're on the zero and they can't figure out where where to go. Uh, yeah, uh, the. Uh, positional audio on the uh, like detour uh, sign structure <laughs> is really good with the the, the tick tock of the the, the blinking uh, lamp lamps uh, coming on and off uh, where it, it, you get a lot of like stereo or like yeah just like positional sound where it, as you move by it it 
it will move across uh, from one end to the other of your sound space. Uh, it's really cool. I did find um, the um, the blinking because there's there's four lights, but they're in kind of two pa- they're in pairs, and they they blink in pairs, but not they're not synchronized, so they kind of drift in and out of sync with each other, which is so fucking obnoxious. <laughs> it's just like so hard to listen to, <laughs> but um, maybe that's just me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't find it so obnoxious, but uh, I could see how it would be. I mean, there's plenty of sounds that I find obnoxious and I'm very sensitive to as yeah. well. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the space is is very strange. Um, can you go down to the dock yet? I don't believe so, no. I, I tried. It, I don't think so, right? Yeah, you can't go there yet. Um, it, um, it just doesn't let you walk there. Um, the bits of dialogue here are, um, I mean... They're lost. The zero is very strange. Um, Conway's leg is quite stiff. Um, he's he's not feeling great. There's also kind of these these back and forth between the two about like, hey, is is this an office or a cathedral? And like, you, you get the kind of options of one or the other, or just say both. Um, and you also get the options like there's a I can't remember which one of them asks, but like, hey, do you do you think we're indoors or outdoors right now? And like, you know, one of the options is both, kind of because. Yeah, this is a very odd space that suggests interiority and exteriority simultaneously. Yeah, uh, so this space uh, absolutely has that, where like there's the tunnel, there's the dock, uh, all of the uh, office floors open out into this like central courtyard area uh, with no real uh, suggestion of like a wall. Um, they're like basically all the office floors are like balconies uh, that face out onto this central courtyard. The lobby is just kind of outside. <laughs> it's outdoors, kind of. Yeah, it's next to the dock. <laughs> yeah, and there's a giant organ that's just kind of out there. Uh, so it's and there's televisions on the wall. Yeah, there's all, there's all these alcoves in the in the red big brick wall which are um just have television stacked up in them um this this space is actually uh inspired by a um a real place um saint brida's church of east kilbride in scotland it's a fucking strange looking church um it's got that that the red brick kind of just these severe like sheer walls um very odd place um and you know it's, it's just another thing where they're clearly riffing on real world artistic influences yeah, there's there's a lot of similarities because that church has the alcoves on the inside, uh, though they're not filled with televisions. <laughs> I'd hope not. <laughs> and uh, the um, the interior uh, has like effectively like an enormous skylight at the top. So like even though the walls are uh, this kind of like very <sighs> martial. Uh, you know, sort of armory-like red brick uh, construction. It looks like a fortress, you know? It, it does. It absolutely looks, looks like a fortress. It reminds me of a Romanesque church in the sense that, like, those actually were fortresses. Uh, but, you know, because that's where you'd hide when the Vikings came. Uh, but, um, you know, it's it's obviously not. It's just... It's just done that way in an aesthetic sense. And uh, yeah, it also seems to have like parapets kind of at the top or like arrow slots uh, that are that are there for like defense. Uh, Although they're completely unusable because like the ceiling is extremely vaulted. (laughs) 
It's just very funny to think that these 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 Scots, right? That they've they've installed fucking like arrow slots in in their church. That's very funny. Yeah, no, it's it's such a weird structure. But the key thing I think is this enormous skylight at the top, uh, which uh, does give you the sense that you're kind of outside when you're inside. Um, and and I, I think that's probably why uh, this structure was the inspiration for this bureau here. Yeah, it's um, it's it's a good bit of fun. I, I must I must try to visit that that place if I can. It'll be yeah, good, yeah. Be you should totally go. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah. So like, if if you walk to the left, you kind of get this like reception area. That the more officey stuff is is off camera initially. It's like these you get go from the red brick to this like this gray brutalist slab sort of architecture. Um, this uh, Marianne, the receptionist, comes out and asks, um, you know, there's, there's some back and forth. Marianne initially sort of thinks they're, um, they're it's a whiskey delivery, um, uh, which is probably the van that crashed right up front um, at the very beginning that, like, the whiskey isn't going to come. Um, this is the first time we get the mention, I think, of the boys from the distillery. Um, well, she says like, oh, well, that couldn't be the case because you don't, you don't look like them. And it's like, well, what do they look like? And she just says, well, they cut a rather grim profile. Um, so it's a little bit of a tease for what we're going to get, um, in, uh, probably the next, actually in, in the, the next interlude. Um, I think it's the first time we ever see those folks. Um, I think it's the first time the brand of whiskey hard times is mentioned too. Yeah. So, um, they're, again, they're, they're doing this thing of like, hey, we're lost. We're looking for Dogwood Drive. Um, so Marianne sends them upstairs to, um, or she, she, she's going to send them upstairs to, um, to ask the, the folks um, to see if they can find, find their way. Um, while she's doing that, or while, while she's checking, you can inspect the area. The TVs turn on at this point. Um, you can go and inspect, like, th- there's like nature shows on. There's like um, a scene mm-hmm. of like a bird uh, uh, building its nest. Um, there's some some remark that like it seems very precarious and and fragile. Um, there's a show about uh, hermit crabs, and I think there's a few others. But it's it's this theme of um, yeah, this this subtle theme of home and precarity is being reinforced here. Yep, absolutely, indeed. Um, so Marianne comes back, and you're sent up to Lula on the fifth floor. Um, on the way up, you pass this like small like reception table, which again is is off to the side, but it's like. It's clearly like you've got these like kind of sixties uh, style of furniture, like a, a low coffee table with these like comfy little chairs. But clearly, if you just look to your right while you're sitting in them, there would just be water because it's a fucking dock. <laughs> like, it's like you could, it's it's sort of cozy, but also like if you think about it, it's like this would be a very weird place to spend your time because you you would never feel safe. I don't think uh, sitting in those chairs. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, I've been to places like that before in sort of like very modernist architectural designs and that. There's a, um, so there's a, uh, um, there's like a, I guess it's like, would you call it a canal? Yeah, I think it's sort of like a canal uh, that runs through the middle of downtown in Kyoto or it's next to the river. Uh, and, uh, there's a number of, uh, like restaurants that are just sort of like built out right next to the canal. And the canal is like itself, like sunk below road level. So you're kind of like in this pit and then there's like, 
sort of like a concrete floor next to this canal uh, and you can eat there and it's it's kind of pleasant you know it's it's kind of nice feel my fucking anxiety alarms going off just thinking of that space (laughs) (laughs) but yeah there's there's lots of those in in kyoto so that's that's what it reminded me of the most of like the the chairs right next to the water yeah, I remember sitting at a, a cafe. It must have actually been in Aberdeen, which is like not a very pleasant city anyway. But like, it just at a cafe and was sitting outdoors with a friend, and it was just like at these little fucking rickety table chairs, and like there's like traffic right next to us, and there's pigeons fucking everywhere, and I was like, Jesus Christ, we've got to get out of here. <laughs> it's like this is this is driving me insane, you know? Just like that 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 like sense of just like non safety and like just like ambient threat from the environment was just so so surreal while trying to have a conversation and like eat (laughs) yeah but um i don't know maybe that's just me um but on on the little coffee table there's a phone and there's some brochures um the brochures are for the bureau of secret tourism which is uh, tantalizing um i think you can take one of the brochures uh with you um we should say there's there's actually an inventory in this game which is never used and is kind of senseless like if you open up the inventory you'll have the dice that you you took initially and you'll have a a logbook that basically contains hints about where you're supposed to go next just in case you forget what the dialogue was and the the the, the brochure will show up in the the inventory as well i never check the inventory so i don't know uh well the brochure you can use i believe i oh, know this isn't the is this the the brochure that that gives you navigation instructions for the zero? Oh, maybe not because th- because this would have been um this would have been a replay after having finished the game. So maybe the maybe the inventory carries over actually. Maybe maybe this is not where you get it. No, you definitely get the brochure here. You, you like uh, it, it's on the it's on the table. There's there's uh the brochure and then there's also a uh poem about death i think is on there as well and you can only pick up one of them i want to say or you have to go to the poem and then the brochure because if you take the brochure then um you can't check the poem anymore okay interesting um yeah i'm not totally sure about that then uh but it in either way i think you do end up in possession of a uh small brochure with cryptic instructions on how to get to weird places um yeah yeah this is the one this is the one yeah um the elevator music on the way up is very very cute <laughs> as well um but you can, you can choose any of the five floors to go to and the, you have to go to the fifth floor uh, which is labeled diagrams and drafts and uh, lula is not there there's somebody else uh, hanging around um the person this person is sitting at their desk with a um a record player that's just skipping it's playing it's playing it's trying to play um a symphony but it's just going and it's like my guy, you can just fix the fucking record. Uh, with Conway can fix it, and um, it, the, the, the music plays properly. But like, really kind of odd, like Twin Peaks vibes initially from these these folks who are just like uh, maybe they're so broken by the bureaucracy that um, they just can't can't process their environment anymore. I believe it's like Beethoven's Third is playing. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, this. This place just drove me up the wall, and um, I, I really have to emphasize here and like throughout this chapter, uh, you you everything is conditioned by Conway's leg being busted up. 
Conway is so slow. Everything you do is just excruciating how slow everything is. And you you really get that sense of just struggling, struggling, struggling. And like, why are these people making me go through all this bullshit? Um, and it's 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 extremely relatable because like, I mean, I don't know, like I don't have a broken leg or anything, but just that feeling of like moving like molasses through a bureaucracy when you have something urgent you need to get done and you're suffering and like people are totally indifferent to helping you uh is is uh is extremely relatable so it is it, i think the main source i i had in this chapter of just being like like i i just can't keep playing i this is this is way too real um yeah <laughs> absolutely right and this, this this first encounter on this fifth floor is is setting us up for the runaround right like it's just like oh no not here gotta go somewhere else Uh oh not here gotta go somewhere else oh so one more one more tiny thing at the when you're up at the fifth floor it you can see that there's um in the foreground close to the camera there's stalactites uh dripping down so you're still underground basically it's that kind of confirmation um, which is fun. But um, so you have to go down to the first floor, which is the clerk's offices, and it's more runarounds, right? Like you, you speak to Greg and he's like, well, you got to fill out a form and you go over. You kind of said it, it wants you to do this like hopping around between desks. And like clearly Lula is actually sitting in the middle of the room. Like you can see her there, but you got to go to one desk and it's like, well, fill out this form. Give me your last. It's like there's a, there's a fun line here where he's like, um, write down your last five permanent addresses and one of Conway's options is like I don't think I've ever had five permanent addresses in my life well I I, I, I basically had this exact problem uh, recently in dealing with bureaucracy where it was like oh if you want to apply for this exemption then you need to give us the last 17 months of bank statements oh no that you've received and I only had 15 in Canada and the, the other two were in Japan. No, and I was like, well, I, I can't give you those two statements because they're in Japanese and I would need a month to get them professionally translated and uh, worked on by a notary uh, to, to, to have them like notarize that this is a correct translation. So yeah, again, just extremely relatable, problem to have uh yeah definitely right um i don't know how long this uh runaround can go on because I'd, I'd imagine there's quite a few bounces you can do between the, the desks uh but at, at some point you just like this is this is bullshit i just want to speak to lula and you can kind of then bounce to lula in the middle of the room um and she uh yeah she's very much like oh welcome to the paperclip labyrinth is that kind of like um uh that that, that uh the gal i guess gallows humor i suppose of somebody who's uh, probably far too um, far too clever for this place, <laughs> and is is just putting up with it. Um, she does mention she does spot that Conway is limping, and uh, kind of recommends her her doctor, Doctor Truman, um, as somebody to go and go to uh, to get this fixed, um, which will, will be a thing we get to later. Um, when when we give her the spiel about Dogwood Drive, she says, "Oh well." That's weird. I used to live on a dogwood drive, but it can't be the one you're looking for because that was a surface road, and you're you're sure that this is on the opposite somewhere on the zero, right? Um, 
she also mentions that like at, at some point in the conversation she's like oh i know weaver you know like because like i think shannon will say that like oh weaver sent us here um or my cousin weaver and that like weaver was an intern for here yeah you can bring that you can bring that up yeah yeah i think i think i think it's also probably missable because you because uh Conway can give a reason for coming or you can give Shannon's reason and I think the the reason that Weaver told us to come here is just more compelling so it's the one I've always picked <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely right um so but like it's weird Weaver was an intern here and um Lula knew her in in university as well right um and so they've they've crossed paths a couple of times um it's. I think she says something like that. Weaver was part of the um, the the big project that we got a glimpse into in Limits and Demonstrations. So Weaver, yeah, she's um, she's all over the place in the story, right? Um, but never really on screen for very very long. Um, but the trick with the Dogwood Drive thing is that, like, yeah, the, at some point. There was a bunch of streets that all had the same name, but they needed to rename them because the computer records can't deal with ambiguity. Um, so her Dogwood Drive is probably now called Pale Dogwood Drive, and some other bullshit one is probably called Whatever Dogwood Drive. But she she reasons that there must still be a Dogwood Drive remaining because, eh, probably, right? Like, you'd probably keep one with the original name. And she's kind of wondering, is that the one you're looking for? And if, if we're going to find out, we're going to have to go up to the archives and look around in there. It, and she says, like, oh, it, it could be under G for generic, or maybe it's under N for name collisions or, or, or something. But when we do go up to the fourth floor, uh, the archives and records, digging around, we find that actually there's only boxes here up to F. And uh, there doesn't seem to be anything in, like, um, the index book to suggest that there's anything related to those name collisions or renames here. So, uh-oh. Uh, we're kind of fucked for a moment. I don't think there's anything else really on floor four, is there? Um, no. No. Um, oh, well, uh, in which case, back down. And, like, this is fucking excruciating, as you said, because, like, you have to go to the goddamn elevator every time and, like, you know, shuffle over there and then the little the little jolly little music and then the fucking, like, list out the, the buttons and pick the button and then, oh, Christ, it's it's a lot. Um yeah, it, it, it makes me feel physically ill to even think about doing yeah. this again. <laughs> Never again. <laughs> well, it's an extremely strong negative reaction to this one. I, I hope that, well, for the rest of them, we won't see the Bureau again. So um, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, no, I think I think it's going to be different going forward. I just, you know, I... I, I've had some pretty bad experiences with bureaucracy in my life, <laughs> and some of them more recent than others. <laughs> oh no! Well, I hope there's nothing else triggering in any of the rest of the fucking acts. But well, yeah, no, I, 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 I don't think so. I think this is, uh, I think this is the the height. But um, we go back down to the first floor and uh, Lula says, well, the the records must still be in transit because we moved recently. Um, They had moved from what? What what is this? They they had moved. Basically, this this did used to be a cathedral, but they kicked the congregation out and repurposed it as the bureau. Um, And they the, the congregation got shuffled to a storage unit, which is also the storage unit where the rest of the records probably are. So it's, it's all very topsy-turvy and, and weird. Um, this, some of this, like, you got to wonder what the fuck the Bureau is really about. And I mean, the, the answer is probably, like, just surreal bullshit, because that's what they need to be on screen. But there's a sense here of, like, um, the whole, like, 
all the solid melt into air trick going on, but like it's more that everything gets recycled and reused in bizarre ways. Like like, oh, it's it, this is no longer a hospital. It's going to be turned into some other bullshit. It'll transform that way. Um, yeah, I guess I kind of got the sense that it's sort of about like post-industrialism and like re sort of like making do with spaces that used to be built for something specific. But it's also just kind of this Kafkaesque nightmare of irrational movement for movement's sake, repurposing for repurposing sake. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, I feel like it's, there's, there's a lot of different meanings you can read into it, but none of them fit entirely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, come to think of it, I, I, when, I, when I lived in Aberdeen, I used to go to a dentist that was in, it was a church building, but had been completely repurposed as a dentist's office. Um, so it's pretty strange, right? Like if this like really glistening sort of modern like um, appointments inside these um, just like stone walls and shit. And I was like, what the fuck? It's like a vaulted ceiling above the fucking dentist chair. And I was like, what the hell? Yeah, exactly. Uh, it also kind of reminds me of the... Um the church in Disco Elysium that gets repurposed into a nightclub. Yeah. But yeah, there's, there's definitely that kind of thing of like, it, it's a theme that will emerge more of like makeshift kind of environments and uh, just that general precarious, anxious sort of living. Um, but so we've, we've got these kind of directions to this uh, storage unit, but she also says like, hey, look, here's Dr. Truman's card. Go go see him because that leg's looking pretty bad. There's a couple of other floors we can go to. Um, the second floor is the conference room. And if, if you if you go all the way out to the right to like the, um, the edge, look, there's this like balcony, I guess, because like all the floors just open out onto onto nothing, which I guess means this place must be freezing cold all the time. I can't imagine it's very very comfortable to live in yeah well it's on it's underground and <laughs> <a> also <laughs> it's in, it's in a cave for some reason and also completely opened by a water like a by a river or something it's by a river yeah and 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 it's completely open so yeah it's probably incredibly cold and and like dank and just uh, freezing, yeah, very humid. Yeah, it'd be it'd be so fucking humid. It'd be horrible. Um, but if you go all the way out to the balcony and wait a couple of seconds, the camera will drift right to reveal a huge church organ in the background. And um, there's a, there's a guy. As if that isn't weird enough, there's a guy sitting there um, at the at the the stool, but he's 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 making barbecue. Uh, at, a, at a little little <laughs> little barbecue unit, and he's wearing bicycle shorts <laughs> with with no shirt, and it's just like, what the? F-? It just keeps stacking things up. <laughs> well, I, I my, my 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 first thought was, hey, it's Tom O'Brien, because <laughs> uh, because oh yeah, <laughs> you know, Tom used to be a professional organist, and uh, I could definitely see him having a story about like, oh yeah, this one time I went to this old abandoned church in my bicycle shorts, and we were doing some barbecue, and I decided to play the organ. Oh my god. I'll I'll need to link in the show notes to to that episode of From Alpha to Omega where the the end yeah. is an anecdote that is fucking dizzying. <laughs> and like I'm I'm from Ireland, right? But like Tom is a very particular kind of Irish person who just always has a story about fucking everything, and is like, 
yes oh, what an adventure <laughs> what, a, what a life to live um but if you wait a moment this guy will turn around and from his barbecue and uh, start playing the organ at which at which point the light the lighting changes and you get this lovely organ music in the background um uh so the third floor or so no if you go back once you go back into the conference room the the slide there's a, like a slideshow that people are looking at but it, it's not actually active until you get the organ music going which is kind of strange um the slideshow is fun it's a it's a you know like a i think the it's it's put as being like a baffling um slideshow of like star charts uh, nameless interiors and unpopular anagrams which i got i got to know what the anagrams are <laughs> you know which which are the unpopular ones <laughs> There's also a painting here uh, in the slideshow. There's a painting by uh, Giorgio de uh, Chirico, uh, who was a sort of proto-surrealist painter, uh, Italian proto-surrealist painter, um, kind of uh, metaphysical painter going into uh, surrealism. Uh, and, and he has been uh, very influential uh, throughout sort of pop culture. Um, but uh, he was, uh, for instance, um, a major uh, influence on the art style for Eco, uh, the PlayStation 2 game. Uh, like so if you uh, if you have uh, if you look at the original jet, yeah, if you look at the original Japanese cover for the game for Eco, uh, uh, it's very much painted in a, a Chirico style, um, uh, and uh, also it was a big influence on uh, David Bowie's uh, video for "Loving the Alien." Uh, if you look at the backgrounds uh, and the characters in uh, that video. Um, you can see a very strong resemblance to Kentucky Route Zero because Chirico was obviously like one of the biggest um, artistic influences on this like sort of like flat plane, strange lighting look uh, that uh, Kentucky Route Zero uses. So yeah, I kind of kind of described it as like it's it's sort of like vaporwave art, but with extre- but very dark with extreme lighting. So like there's a lot of like arcades and like busts sort of suggestions of like Roman architecture, but with weird surreal geometry and lighting. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, very clearly uh, they put this in here as like an Easter egg to sort of like drop like, oh, hey, this is where our art style came from huh that's quite fun I, d- I didn't quite pick up on that yeah that's um but i i, I do know the, the 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 art yeah from um that makes that makes a lot of sense as a connection um the, th- the third floor is simply labeled bears and if you go there there are bears it's just a fucking bunch of bears that's it there's, there's just a bunch of bears you can't do anything there it's just bears they're super cute because they if you walk around among them uh they track you like they they look but also like as you go past their floor they'll turn to look at the fucking elevator just momentarily which is so funny um yeah yeah they're just they're just chilling um, yeah you got a bear infestation they can't get rid of um in this place um <laughs> <laughs> it's also just like having the floor labeled bears yeah kind of suggests that like it was intentional on some level. Yeah, yeah. Just, again, just very surreal. And they, they might, they might actually do something. Maybe it's the, um, yeah, it's like the on Star Trek, the like 
dolphin navigation unit deck that's like it's labeled as as a thing that you see in the background but you, nobody ever goes there yeah it's a very tantalizing place um if, if we go <laughs> yes. down to the lobby to leave though um the place is now swarming with hermit crabs which is fun um and their their shells are all makeshift um shells from office supplies so one of them is wearing a an empty printer cartridge as a shell one of them is wearing a mug as a shell which is again this kind of like this theme of like precarious home that these things have had to make themselves a makeshift home precariously um one of them's wearing a ball of paper clips as as a as a shell and so on um but also just weirdness because this this is the surrealist episode of uh, of kentucky Road zero um um once we leave though um we are in a we go to the overworld which is a pretty fucking strange one this time it's uh, we're on the zero and it's it's the same aesthetic of like it's a black backdrop with a white lines but what you've got is like this little um the wheel symbol symbolizing the truck is on a big round circuit um that you can drive either direction on but it's like it's got these like weird like radar echo kind of lines around it that suggest like um the interior of a cave or whatever um really weird sound design and stuff but the directions the directions you've been given to get to the storage unit are uh, drive counterclockwise and or no it's drive clockwise and then turn around at the crystal they they are they don't even tell you to drive clockwise they just tell you to 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 drive until you get to the crystal and then turn around i was like is it clockwise or is it counterclockwise i don't know actually you know what i i went counterclockwise i didn't go clockwise i wonder if this is rigged so that there's only one way out for this one because it's the they want it to be easy you know um because navigating the zero is fucking difficult because like you can look up a map of this thing online and it wouldn't be spoiling too much to say that like logically it's a bunch it's like it's a bunch of circles that are connected to each other so like if you can imagine a big circle with four or five small circles off of it and then maybe some of those have little circles off of them as well and basically like if you drive around until you get to a point where you are in contact with a different circle and then turn around you'll like switch tracks onto that circle and so on so it's all like drive until and so when they say drive until you see the crystal like in in the game's rendering it's like um a kind of glyph of a crystal like floats into view next to next to the truck and then floats away again as you drive past it so it's it's highly abstract um and then if you if you turn around at that point you'll actually switch onto a different logical track um, which will take you to where you want to go. Now, there's a lot of optional content that you can get to by navigating this thing. Um, some of the directions in the... Uh, so like the, If you pick up the brochure for the Bureau of Secret Tourism, it's got directions to uh, some places. I think they're all like text-based um, encounters. I didn't get any of them this time around. Maybe I'll try and get them in Act 3. But did, did did you manage to f- to find some? No, I mean I did them my first playthrough, but this time I did not. Um, I I, uh, I I had the same thought as like, well, I'll, I'll get into this a little bit more in Act Three. Yeah, well, I guess you were having a hard time with this fucking act anyway. <laughs> but hey, yeah, I was just like, oh, I just want to get to the end, oh please, yeah. <laughs> there there is one uh, there is one interesting scene that that it is a visual scene. Um, it's labeled Deja Vu. And if you if you click through to it, it's like this very short little scene where 
the truck, you can see that you can actually see the road and the truck comes to a stop. Now, what's interesting here is this confirms that from Conway and Shannon's perspective, this honest to God just looks like a road tunnel underground. Uh, it doesn't look weird at all when you're on it. It's just, it's logically weird. Um, so as far as they can tell, they're just in a tunnel on, underground, like a road tunnel. Um, but they pull over and Shannon's like, I got the weirdest sense of deja vu. And they're like, huh, that's weird. And then they drive off again. But as the camera pans out, um, as, the, as the, the, the truck leaves, you can actually see that to the right of the screen, like just like f- basically six feet away from the tunnel uh, wall, you see one of the tunnel ends from Elkhorn Mine. One of the dead ends is about six feet away from the zero. And there's ghosts sitting there in the tunnel. So this is quite upsetting, actually, because they could have probably broken through and the water would have drained into the zero when the mine flooded. Yeah, it ain't great. And actually, like, come to think of it, it when you are in Elkhorn Mine in Act 1... If you go to that um, dead end, just barely visible off the left edge of the screen is like the hint of like some shade of gray that would suggest um, the, the the zero, like the, the tunnel is there. Um, so yeah, uh, wild stuff. But uh, I'm sure there's other stuff that's really interesting to see, but it's none of it's, it. None of the optional content in this game is essential. It is optional, in fact. So um, we're not going to put too much work into finding all of it uh, but it's it's there if you want it um so when we get to this next location um it, it's it's labeled as saint thomas's church uh but when as when the scene fa- uh, fades in it's got like a big sign that's hanging down from the cave wall that says random access self-storage um and it's it's just like l- level after level of these storage units um um, so, like, a quite quite a striking little visual. They're doing a lot of this, like, foregrounded uh, silhouette stuff in this act, actually, now that I think about it. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I was just going to say that, like, it's even bizarre to think that, like, the Bureau used to be here. <laughs> like, what the fuck were they doing? Were all their offices just in the storage units? Like, how did they work here? Yeah, I guess. It's like... I think that adds a really interesting wrinkle to the Bureau, because, like, on some level, they're actually kind of indifferent to the functionality of a space. You know, like, they're all about spaces, but they seem to be really bad at picking them and, like, using spaces, you know? Well, and they, and they literally just, like, they're like the hermit crabs, right? They just hermit crab into whatever space they inhabit. And, yeah, it's... It's... it's yeah, it's the weirdest thing is, like, about the Bureau is that they don't just reclaim spaces like they all only inhabit reclaimed spaces yeah there's 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 something tasty there as well with like lula being a artist and maybe architect or whatever and she she, you know she's she's applying to um for exhibitions at like the 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 gaston trust for imagined architecture and this kind of shit so she's clearly a person who cares about aesthetics and like space and the way that human beings inhabit spaces but she has to put up with this deranged nonsense from the bureau. It's very, very fun. Yeah, yeah. That's why, like, when I played through this time, uh, when it was like the when you have the the request that you're going to process, um, I just approved everything as like a as a like 
like, uh, fuck this job kind of <laughs> <Yeah>. gesture. <laughs> that definitely works. Like, right? this is all nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that would certainly fit the character, right? Um, so one of the uh, one of the storage units is open. There's a janitor uh, there, and he's 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 here for the mass, right? Like and he tells us about this um, the 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 church that that now inhabits this like storage unit um, is has dwindled to basically nothing over the over time, and now the even the um, even the uh, even the priest is gone, and they just have the taped sermons, and he's about to put on the tape, and that's what counts as mass. Um, so Conway can sit and listen um, while Shannon goes to the back to look for the records uh, that they're looking for. Um, you can either just listen to the sermon or you can chit-chat uh, with the janitor. Um, the sermon is kind of like, I don't know, it's almost like a kind of cathball kind of thing where it's like the valor of labor and, and shit like this, um, which is very cool, very cool and fun. You know, it's like that, um, what do they call it, liberation theology sort of stuff, um, which is which is cool. yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I think um, this is obviously pointing to Conway's state of being right now, right? That is like he's he's putting in this heroic effort to complete his job despite being seriously injured and all that kind of stuff. But um, this time around, I just did the chit chat about like, you know, oh, what are your hobbies and blah, blah, blah. Like, I didn't pay any attention to the, the sermon at all. The last time I listened to the sermon. It was all sermon, yeah. Um, I think with the chit-chat, um, the janitor does remark on Conley's leg, because, I mean, everyone can see that he's he's hobbling uh, real bad. Um, and you, you get a little story from, like, you know, he's like, yeah, I know, I know, I know, like, yeah, medical costs are fucking crazy. You, you can't really go to a doctor. And he, he's like, oh, my, my dad, you know, when I was a kid, busted his arm uh, on, on the job, and he'd, like, tried to stitch it back together himself and it never really worked after that. And it's like, uh-oh, uh, grim. Um, but everyone in this thing has a grim story, right? You know? Oh, for sure, for sure. Uh, yeah, no, it's 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 really grim. He just kind of, like, trails off, like, talking about his dad. It's like, kind of assume that, like, he didn't meet a good end, you know? It's like in, workplace injury to, like, his life falling apart and dying. Yeah, it's, um... As is often the case in this game, a lot of that is left to implication rather than being put on screen. But um, the implication is strong enough that it's hard to miss. Um, uh, but Shannon gets back and, um, yeah, like, Conway's kind of spacey. Because like, Shannon's like, I found it. And Conway's like, you found found what? And he's like, the records, what we're here for, you know? So, like, we're, we're starting to see that he's, he's falling apart. And then as they leave, Conway does fall apart. Um, he blacks out. And the, the way this is done visually is very interesting, where it's like, it's like it's as if they're turning off the lights in the facility. Like, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Like, um, and they, they turn off one at, one at a time. And in the blackness, we get just basically a replay of the cave-in scene, which is super upsetting, because he's just flashing back to this fucking thing. Um... Very weird. Um, and it's it's evident that he needs to get to a doctor very soon. Yeah, and you you, you can choose the same dialogue that you picked uh, the original time, or you can choose the alternative dialogue uh, in this point. I always do the same one. Yeah, I, I think yeah. I did the same one as well. And uh, it seems like a faithful representation, like, is, is where you want to go with, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it, it's very much like involving the player in recalling the event. Because it's like giving you the option to choose the wrong or to choose the one that didn't happen or, or giving you the option to choose the one that did happen, 
which very much feels like, you know, actively recalling something out of your memory. Yeah, certainly. Um, there's a part of me that thinks that if I was designing this, I would have had it just be a, a playback, a tape of what the player chose. But I think maybe, yeah, th- having it be an option is probably better because, like, you, there's a bunch of ways you could slice it. Like, either he's misremembering what happened or he's remembering his impression of what happened rather than what really happened and so on. Um, but either way, it's still a flashback because that's how memory works. It's reconstructing something. It's not, it's not just a tape. So maybe that is more faithful to the actual way memory works. Um, yeah, and just just wanted to shout out the uh, the lights turning off scene that the um, just the artistic direction there is 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 really strong. Uh, it's it, it, like shutting down from the top of the screen down to the bottom. Um, yeah, it's real good. And you get the echoing sort of like it's 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 the echoing of switches being flipped or like the, the the sounds that those kind of huge lights make when they turn off and on you know the little shock sound and then the the, the echo and like the um the sound design is really good but um for for such a minimalist game like there's in most in most instances there's very little happening but when things do happen it's masterful you know um but we head back to the bureau um something I want to because you're on the zero very briefly for this um something I wanted to mention as well is like. Because you can get very easily lost on the zero, there is a little button down on the left-hand side to, like, sleep. And if you click that, uh, Shannon takes over the, the, the steering wheel and uh, and actually gets to the destination. Um, so that's, that's quite fun, right? Like, that, like, Conway would still be so fucking tired and ill, but driving around in circles, literal circles, on this weird hyperbolic space. And uh, and then just, like, Shannon would just have to, have to drive the, the correct route. Um, but... Uh, at the bureau, Marianne says that like Lula's already left. She's she left in a hurry. Um, Carrington is there. This is where you meet Carrington this time around, and you can you can recommend the venue this time. So so which which venue did you recommend? Uh, I recommended the storage unit because that area where the sermons uh, happen seemed like a place you could stage a play. Uh, I did Equus Oils. It just it seemed it seemed right. Um, I think in you can you can discuss all three of the options. So the three options are Equus Oils, the storage unit, or Elkhorn Mine. You can discuss all three of them with with Carrington and like feel out his response and then commit to one. Um, I think when I was looking at the dialogue, he didn't seem very keen on Elkhorn Mine. Um, he was like, "Wait, underground? Wouldn't that sound like shit?" You know, uh, I don't know. Um, yeah, uh, I think. He has a he has a positive reaction to the storage unit and to Equus Oils, but not the mine. Yeah. Um, now this is the bit then that like, I'm very confused by it because like Marianne says um, they've they've processed the paperwork to get you back to the surface roads, and so that like it, and so what what happens next is you just kind of click OK on that, and then the next thing you see is the overworld map for the driving and on the surface, and I'm like. Why do they need paperwork to get off of the zero? That's very strange. And this is the bit that I, I kind of almost suspect that they just couldn't think of a way to make this transition work. And so it, it had to be something in keeping with the theme of the bureaucracy. But it, of all the things that don't make sense in this act, this very, very doesn't make sense. You know? Yeah, it's it's just like, what? Okay. Uh, sure. Uh, one thing to say about Lula uh is um uh there's some speculation that maybe she went looking for weaver um 
if you had uh, mentioned Weaver in your previous conversation with her, I think um, I think that Shannon says like, uh, oh, like she seemed really interested in um, she seemed really interested in Weaver. So maybe that's what she went after. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Um, I guess the other thing worth mentioning here is I, th- I think you're handing over the records for them to be um, processed by the Bureau, so they'll, they'll get back to you with the location of Dogwood. Um, I think that's what's happening Right, anyway. right, 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 right. Yes, yes. But, yeah, I don't know. It's a very strange transition. It's not very elegant at all. It's, it's odd. Um, and this is the handoff point between the we-need-to-find information about Dogwood Drive um, objective versus the we-need-to-get-to-a-doctor objective. Um, so we've got directions to Truman's house, but once we drive there, um, it seems to actually be a museum, uh, which is odd. Um, this is the Museum of Dwellings. Um, this, this is a really fun scene. This is very well put together, I think. Yeah, um, it's extremely strange um uh again really really leaning on the surrealism here uh and technically this is where truman's house is in a very narrow technical sense yes (laughs) like during during the day this is where truman's house is (laughs) uh is what we learn but it currently is not yeah um, so this, I, I kind of love the trick they play with this, where they're bringing back the trick from um, Limits and Demonstrations of having this overhead camera uh, mounted high above the scene that's like look tracking people, which will show up again and again. Like they're real fond of this fucking trick. Um, but it's a security camera. Yeah, well, it, it, it is a security camera, but I just wanted to say that like um, this... Uh this area is certainly the one for which limits and demonstrations was the tech demo was the, the, the prototype uh, because it has the same camera and it also makes use of the same uh, lighting effects that we saw in limits and demonstrations. Yeah, you're right. I, I didn't quite put that together. Actually. I, I've, I've always thought of them just like reusing, I, I was sort of them like being just in love with this like single camera high up trick and and wanting to repeat it again and again. But yeah, you're you're very right. That like is certainly a dry run for this scene. Yeah, uh, but the there's no there's no dialogue from Shannon and Conway initially. Um, the dialogue we get overlaid on the security footage is dialogue from the residents of the museum uh, being interviewed by the staff of the museum. And they're kind of this, this, the museum staff are asking about these these folks, right? And the, the the people responding are like, "Oh, yeah, they just showed up and like wandered in, and they seem to be looking for for something or whatever." And you know, it, there's a lot of different perspectives, like a lot of different named residents here. Um, there's a, this is a really fun switch in perspective because. Um, like if if you interact with blue like the thing you can do at the start of every scene is like interact with blue to like talk to them but when you do that you don't get conway's dialogue with blue you get um dialogue from one of the residents saying yeah geez i feel bad for that dog that that poor thing being dragged around in the rain by these two drunks you know and like we're seeing how conway and shannon look to other people and they look desperate downtrodden sad lonely and drunk um which is <laughs> probably an accurate read basically <laughs> maybe not on shannon but like 
this doesn't look good to other people, like to, to, to other folk. And you mean, even these folk aren't exactly in the best situation either. But like their, their, their instinctive reaction is like, Jesus, that poor dog being dragged around by these fucking maniacs, you know? Yeah, the, the dialogue is like, oh, you know, initially I thought they were from the power company. So I hit I like hid. I was hiding and I like kind of like peeped out to see who was there. Um, and uh, but then I realized they couldn't possibly be because, you know, of how they looked and how they were behaving. Um, yeah. So the floor of the museum is homes. It's houses and trailer homes and all sorts of things laid out as an exhibit with the little museum placards beside them. But people live here. And the kind of story we get is that this was a community that was relocated. Um, but it, it, there's, some, there's some stuff here of like, oh, some people took a deal and moved away, but some were just relocated to this location. Um, and you get the impression of these these folks just being left to rot in this half-built museum because it's, it's like still under construction, right? The back wall is still missing. Um, and what a fucking bizarre setup, right? Like you just have people living in their homes, but in a museum. Um, and yeah, the museum is basically, it just, it just kind of reminds me of like a half finished construction site. Like the elevator you use is very industrial and, um, you know, very, very different from the one that we saw in the Bureau of Reclaimed Spaces um it's it's like you know open air uh obviously used to like haul like uh heavy construction materials up um and and so uh and then yeah there's like all this kind of like iron scaffolding all over the place um yeah it's it's it's, it's a very like warehouse construction site aesthetic yeah again with the pre- precarious housing sort of theme right yeah, and then you just have, like, homes that are uh, arrayed, like, uh, museum displays like we saw in Limits and Demonstrations. Indeed. Um, I think there's there's a fun line as well where, like, um, as as an interview is trailing off, the, the resident is like, hey, any any timeline on when your folks are going to finish this place? And they're like, we'll let you know. <laughs> like, uh, um, definitely getting fobbed off here. But as, as they go around to these little houses... Um, like what? What's often what'll often happen is like you you click on the placard and Conway will or somebody will come out to talk to them or Conway will go in and like you know rifle around in some drawers or whatever to see if there's any information they're looking for for Doctor Truman um, and or they're just having chit chat with with folks. Um, there is one very interesting little micro scene where um, what's the name of the kid? Like the kid the kid's name is Flora, but there's a cabin. Um, and like when, when you when you go to the cabin, the interview is with Flora, right? And like she's describing how Conway went went into the home and was just dumbstruck by the whole thing because he he seemed to think it was his childhood home, and then he when he comes out, he tells them that there was a basement there, which makes no fucking sense because there can't be a basement under this thing. And the way Flora describes what the way Flora describes how Conway describes the basement thing is like a hallucination, right? That like. He goes down to the basement, and then there's a trapdoor in the basement, and he goes down a rope, but then he falls, and then there's a tunnel, and then there's a garden, and the garden is very bright and dangerous, and this kind of thing, and then somehow ends up above ground again. Um, very weird little... Well, it, it, 
it's clearly an allusion to Alice in Wonderland, right? Yeah, yeah. It's got to be. <laughs> it's too close to that. It's 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 definitely that. It's it's like an un- he he. I think I think that makes sense in the in the way that it's like um, if it does look like his childhood home, or maybe it is his childhood home. Like that idea of returning to childhood, I I think is like a interesting inversion of the um, of the like girl underground trope where it's like typically with girl underground stories or like Peter Pan or whatever. It's like you're going to this other world where you have sort of like encounters with the absurdity and dangerousness of like adulthood um uh whereas here it's conway going to his childhood home and then sort of like reverting to childhood going to this underground world where it's like oh yeah like i remember that experience it's like those those like later you know it's like the return to neverland or whatever like those kinds of uh, uh those kinds of stories return to oz return to neverland that kind of stuff yeah i guess so yeah that makes a lot of sense definitely um but uh, it's it's pretty weird and like Flora's concerned for Conway like everyone says like they're they're like concerned for the guy like he just seems very ill um and there's a, the, the, a lot of the tone here is like um oh well these these two transients came to my door and asked about Dr. Schumann and I said I don't know where he is and like I, just, <laughs> I was like wow Jesus that guy's looking fucking rough um, and that that poor dog you know um it's pro- probably also worth mentioning the birdcage Oh, right. Yeah. One of the exhibits is not a house per se. It's a birdcage. So I think this might be from Shannon's childhood. Uh, Yes, yes. Um, And potentially it could be like a... um, A canary cage uh, for the mine. You know, uh, and wh- I don't remember where it is that Shannon has the um, the dialogue about uh, going on Weaver's like ADHD medication and like uh, like having um, an episode of like extreme hyper focus where. She just becomes mesmerized. I think it's by a birdcage. And it's like they just like find her there like days later. Just like, yeah, all dehydrated. Yeah, Uh, I I and and when Shannon um, when Shannon uh, sees the birdcage here, she sort of like touches it fondly. and so I, I think this is probably a callback to something about that house that we saw in Act One. I'd imagine so. Yeah, certainly. Uh, and and her and her relationship with Weaver. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I might have missed that one on this playthrough. Um, but that that is that is familiar. Um, I, I think the, um, the 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 ADHD meds story would probably be, have been in the mine. Or who knows? Because like a lot, of the, a lot of these, a lot of these stories pop up all over. Right. The place, I, you know? I I saw it on my, f- yeah, I saw it on my first playthrough, uh, and I haven't seen it on my second playthrough so far. But uh, that was like a very like 
crucial bit of narrative uh, defining like who Shannon is and who Weaver was. Or, um, or it's possible that that dialogue is still in the future for us. Like it's, yeah, and, and which I don't know. Yeah, I mean this this thing rewards multiple playthroughs because like these stories are smeared out across um, this ten hours of gameplay, right? Um, yeah. Well, and it's it's telling we can't really like place it. Like, was it earlier? Was it later? I don't know. It's all magical realism, timey wimey stuff. It's uh, it, it's uh, it's it's all in theme, you know. It's all it all fits. Um, yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> it's it's not just us not being able to remember it, <laughs> uh, but um, yeah. So like when we take this this big industrial elevator upwards, we get the the camera pans up, and now we're looking from below at this like silhouetted thing. Like it's it's raining like hell up there on the roof of um the building, and there's more houses up there. Um, oh, you also have an umbrella, which is nice. You get that little interaction to put up the umbrella, which isn't going to do very much because it is fucking pouring rain. Um, so it's rain, it's lightning, and there's there's like a giant eagle flying around in the background in between the thunderclaps, um, which is pretty strange. Um, yeah, just it's got like uh, like structures in its claws uh, flying back and forth. Yeah. So it's super evocative and weird, and like it just—it's this spiraling weirdness that draws you in. Um, but the the dialogue with the the folks then is is still kind of along this theme of like we we can't really help you, right? Like, which there's there's nothing like I can do to help. Like, and like we we don't know where Truman is. Um, and like I don't know, this has a kind of I don't, I, I don't know how to describe the vibe, but it, it feels almost like you know like Mary and Joseph being turned away from the inns, you know. Um, Yes, abs- absolutely. That's exactly what I was thinking as well. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're shuffling around in this in this freezing rain, with like going door to door, and nobody's really able to help them. Um, and like Conway's limping, and this this feels very sad. Um, until they get to like kind of 180 degrees around from the where you entered, there's a child standing out in the rain. Um, this kid called Ezra, and if you speak to him, um, this this is where you actually get the dialogue between the on-screen characters. This this isn't the tape anymore. But, but before you go to Ezra, like it's interesting. Like the houses up on the roof are really strange. Like one of them is like a a kind of like dome structure and they're like oh it was so like strange and modernist and and um then the even stranger is the person living in a sailboat yeah (laughs) it's fucking weird uh yeah it's there's this guy named hudson living up in the sailboat and of course the dialogue is with hudson so he's like it's like oh those people they could never know the the joys of living on the sea (laughs) My dude, like your boat is just on the roof here. Also, you're in Kentucky. You're not near the sea. <laughs> yeah, oh, totally. And like, it's also like very strange because like this this community was relocated, but why did they have to relocate a boat? Like, why is a boat in this this exhibit? It's so strange. Um, uh, but yeah, anyway, it's just like, yeah, it gets weirder and weirder as you go on up on the roof. Yeah. And then like having a child just stand out there in this pissing rain and not be bothered by it seemingly is is, is getting to the apex of weird. Um, 
he's he's very cheerful and he he, he makes some some remark about like he and Julian carry the houses to the forest every night. That's why he's up here. And that Dr. Truman stays in the forest now. Um, and if you ask him about that, he says, oh, well, Julian can take us right now. And he does this, like, bird call, like, or something. Like, obviously, it's just in text. And the eagle swoops down and grabs all of you and swoops off. But, like, the, it leaves the umbrellas behind. And they just kind of, like, flop in the wind. It's very fun. <laughs> yeah, it's like the only uh, the only real moment of levity in this chapter is the is the umbrellas just like kind of <laughs> like flopping around. <laughs> yeah, I, I do love that this like otherwise like extremely minimalist and a very dour kind of game has these very occasional like sight gags. <laughs> They're really funny. Um so Julian is a giant eagle. Like, I mean, not not like an ordinary giant eagle, but a really fucking big one, like the size of a bus. Yeah, it's like a it's like a rock or like you know that kind of like mythical bird level of enormous. Like it's it's like a dragon size, you know. Yeah, yeah. He's like um he's like the size of a fucking a small bus, right? Ultimately, um, but now we get this overworld scene of like where you're you're flying on Julian's back, um, over Kentucky, over the map, um. This is a bit of fun. It's it's very long though, like because the directions here are like um, according to Ezra to like uh, fly east along the Green River and then hop over the lake. Um, but this is a long fucking trip. I, I feel like this didn't need to be quite as long. <laughs> it's it's maybe a bit much. Um, it's it's very funny to me as well. Like that. Um, well, the first time I played it, I just kind of wandered around, right and. You can actually go up to the area where Act 5 takes place. Um, and it, it's it's very funny to me. It's like you could just go there. You could just get to Dogwood Drive, like, right away on this eagle. But instead, you go the... You know, you go this orthogonal direction. You're going east instead of north. And, like... Oh, it's just very... It's just like, oh, like... Knowing what I knew, having played Act 5, I'm like, oh, why don't we just go up there? It would just... It would, uh, oh, so many bad things would be averted <laughs> if we could just... If we could just go to Dogwood Drive now. Uh, but, but uh, no, you, you gotta go east. Um, you gotta go. This, gotta go this way. You can actually see a lot of uh, fun little sights from this this perspective. Um, some are really kind of weird and distressing. Like there's um, a little micro scene. Like these are all text little prompts, but like one is like a family fleeing their house on fire. You know, like in in the darkness. Um, there's you can you can fly over uh, Equus oils and all that kind of stuff as well. Um, but yeah, like there's 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 something like there's by the lake there's like a shadowy figure that shambles out of the lake. Like what the fuck? And puts on a suit. Yeah, it, it, it it's like the it's like the swamp thing coming out of the out of the lake, and then it just like puts on a suit and walks away. It's like what the hell is that about? Uh, but yeah, but I should mention that again. That like this. Um, the eagle flying effect, it's got that kind of like vector graphics look that uh, that the overworld traversal has in general. Uh, it's like, a, you know, a sort of like wireframe of an eagle that's flying around. But the way that it like it circles um, is very uh, graceful and uh, 
it's it's incredibly cool looking. Uh, just this, uh, yeah, the way that the the camera pans so smoothly in circles as uh, Julian moves, um, really, really striking uh, stuff. And like the sound design is um, is a lovely kind of ambient drone, but like it's kind of timed with the pulse of his wings as well. It is like as as he flaps his wings, it's like. Vroom. You know, ah, I don't know. It's lovely. Um, and, and when he flaps his wings, uh, if you're over a body of water, it creates like a like a wave uh, that that ripples it ripples across the surface of the water. It's super cool. It's it's a it's a very fun little scene to get lost in for a little bit. Like you can kind of sink into it for a little while. Um, and um, they're they're actually quite good at making these little experiences that are um, auditory, kinesthetic visual experiences like again again this influence from like performance art and um and visual arts right like um or like com- computer art you know um that that kind of game making that's really all about like hey what if there was a cool noise and some um and some nice graphics you know yeah some of the most successful stuff in that that genre that i've seen cuz a lot of it is just like here's part of here, like here's my like art portfolio for for like you know my job application to get hired at some game studio and it's like yeah it's like a striking vista or something but like the way that they combine the different sensory dimensions into this like total work of art um is is really really impressive here indeed um once we arrive at the forest it is um a title card that just says a forest uh, which is exactly what it is um this is a fucking great scene. This, oh, I don't know. This is fucking masterful. Um, the action is following Ezra and Blue, and it's kind of scrolling left to right um, as they as they walk through the forest. And like, there's so much to like about this because, um, like, for like, I love the fact that we shift perspective to Ezra, and he has that like ch- just a childlike kind of wonder, and like he's he's like you know, running so like with such vigor and blue is following him and all this kind of stuff. But as, as you're, as you're going, like the, the trees are weird. Like they shift in and out. They're weirdly overlapping like scenes. So like there'll be a bit where there's like a car, but it's like, if you look from left to right, it's like car, tree, nothing, tree, car, you know, it's like, it's as if there's many scenes interleaved with, with each other. And then they're separated by the trees and it all shifts in this amazing parallax. It's fucking beautiful. Yeah, that's right. Like the parallax effect here is uh, very like smooth and striking just in itself. But then it's like, yeah, as you move along this uh, uh, two dimensional plane, um, the parallax views that you would expect to exist from some perspectives do not exist. And then. It's like because you'll be yeah you'll like move, moving and it'll be like car tree nothing tree and then you can like actually see the part of the car that you couldn't see from a particular perspective that's filled in from another angle. Um, extremely extremely cool. Just like this is one of the most impressive bits of uh interactive computer art i've ever seen oh absolutely right um and in the in the background or should i say the foreground because um 
he's standing quite close to the camera and they're doing the silhouette thing again. We have um, one of the uh, trio, um, probably Ben, actually, one, one of the trio of um, muses uh, singing uh, Long Journey Home with a banjo accompaniment. This this recording is fucking beautiful as well. Like, I love this song as it's recorded here. It is striking. fantastic you know yeah um so this song uh long journey home is another sort of like bluegrass standard um and it's uh it's basically a song about misfortune and death um uh it's about like all these sort of like travails that this person's having in their life and you know they they're talking about this black smoke on the horizon it's got to be a train uh, and the train here is very like the, you know, swing low, sweet chariot kind of uh, uh, motif of like this this vehicle that's going to carry you up to heaven. But like, you know, it's also like black smoke, which is like, oh, like this is misfortune. This is this is something unpleasant. And so it's like is like it's very much like in that sort of space between where it's like. You know, are the misfortunes I'm experiencing in my life presaging my entry to heaven and a relief from all this suffering, or are they just misfortunes? Am I just going to die, and is it just going to be nothing? And, like, if if you follow the lyrics of the song, it kind of gets worse as it goes. Because, like, the, the first verse is like, yeah, black smoke on the horizon surely is a train, um, long journey home, etc. But then the last verse is... Um, it's dark and raining and I've got to go home, got to go home, boys, got to go home. And then long journey home. And it's like, it's, it's like, I, I could imagine this being the, um, from the perspective of a laborer who is kind of like just out, all out of money, right? And like trying to fucking get, get home. But like each, each attempt to go home is just get, just ends up being worse and worse, right? Like, um, cause it starts out sad, but then like this, like it's dark and raining and I've got to go home. And then there's still no resolution in sight. It, like, it, it feels like he's in much worse condition at the end than he was at the start. And he wasn't particularly well off at the start either. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, it's a very, uh, very um, bleak and melancholy uh, uh, song, and especially given the performance that's given here, because it, it can be performed more upbeat, um, which you know is is a little bit less uh, miserable. <laughs> less but uh, no, yeah. I, I mean it, it. It completely fits the. Um, completely fits the scene here uh and where conway is at in his life um yeah um the the, oh, the parallax thing also is um is definitely a callback to um a painting by rene magritte uh, the blank signature which is like a classic um surrealist sort of painting as well um so they're they're, they're really guzzling the surreal stuff uh, at the moment yeah and it's it's like you know, obviously that's playing with perspective and stuff, but I think they really just set out with the intention of like one-upping Magritte here. Uh, so it's, uh, they, they, you know, they really do it uh, through using uh, all kinds of uh, graphical tricks. Um, very, very impressive. It's super cool. Um, but as, as Ezra scrolls left to right, we come across multiple times we encounter uh, Shannon and Conway and it, it feels like what's actually happening is Shannon and Conway are walking through the forest Ezra's trailing behind with the dog and is catching up occasionally and then lapping them but like I think we're seeing all this from Ezra's perspective which is just play um, he's just he's just having a fucking great time in the forest and only coincidentally interacting with his, his wards really yeah it gets back to that sort of like um, like uh picture form uh or sorry uh, a picture scroll form of uh storytelling uh so if you think about like uh, one of those like uh whatever you call them like chinese lanterns uh th- that have the uh the story on them or uh you know this was a very this was a really really common form of storytelling um in like yeah china or japan where you would have like uh a giant painting from left to right on a scroll uh, and the pictures are meant to convey like a passage of time and different scenes moving from one to the other with like text around them. And I think it was pretty common in the Middle Ages as well uh, in in Europe. Or like the Bayou Tapestry or something like that? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So it's 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 that kind of uh, storytelling that we're seeing here. Yeah. I, I hadn't thought of that, actually. Yeah. That's very. That's a very interesting pull. Yeah, interspersed with like Ezra's play. Yeah, the, the sense of play is really wonderful here. Of just like he's he's having a great time in the forest with the dog, and then is is like intersecting with the the people he's accompanying occasionally as he catches up to them. Um, but we, we we catch up to them a couple of times, right? Um, and there's a the, the the first one is actually quite striking, like where it's. Um, Conway's sitting down and like Julian is sitting above him like and is is like Julian's big enough to be obstructed by the parallax in a couple of different places which is really cool yeah and I think it's like um I think the parallax sort of like gets at both the sort of liminality of Conway being on death's door and like presence and absence uh and like the way that he's been hallucinating and coming in and out of of uh, reality uh but it also gets to the sort of like child's mind that ezra has right of like you know uh having like fanciful thoughts about the things you see 
um, and like your imagination and reality not really being a hundred percent distinct from each other. Uh, your your sort of like reality principle being like uh, less developed. Um, so you know, there's there's a way in which like Ezra's activity adds a kind of uh, levity to what we're seeing with Conway, but Conway's activity also adds a kind of darkness to what we're seeing with Ezra because it's like Ezra's running around with the dog with with Blue or Homer or whatever. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, that's up until this point been Conway, Conway's role is to, to accompany the dog. Uh, and so it's, it's like, yeah, there's this kind of like innocence and, 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 um, fancifulness that we see with Ezra, but it's also like, oh yeah, like one day you're going to grow up and you're going to be the, this kind of like miserable suffering old man, just like Conway. Um, uh, and it, it's like, well, this is, this is what life is. It's kind of here. It's kind of not, it's, it's being young. It's being old. It's, it's seeing the world as a place of wonder and a place of horror and suffering all at once. Um, mm. yeah, absolutely. Right. And I think as well, like, um, uh, the, 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 the magical realism aspects of this pay off in really spectacular ways with Ezra, because like. Does he ever say that, like, Julian is his brother? I think he does, right? At some point. But why is his brother a fucking enormous eagle? But then, like, it's magic realism. All the wacky stuff is just presented straight-faced, you know? Yeah, he's, like, a very uh, typical sort of magical realist character. Like, if you think about, like, Life of Pi or uh, that kind of story, uh, like the, the the destitute young boy who experiences the world uh, magically. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, but like, you know, one could ask then like, oh, is his brother really an eagle? And it's maybe not a sensible question, actually. Like, eh, it's, just, it's what's on screen. Like, there's, there's nothing else to go off of. Um, so you just have to kind of take it on faith that this is... I don't know, like an accurate portrayal of the reality of the unreality of it or something. Um, it's it's very compelling. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's that kind of thing where like Ezra is an orphan, right? And um, it's kind of like by being orphaned, he sort of entered into this liminal space of uh, fantasy because like, you know, the parents aren't there anymore and that kind of stuff. And uh, he's, he's again. He's kind of like a girl underground sort of character. Uh, um, there's a, yeah. So like you know, he's he's got this eagle friend. Is like, is this an imaginary friend? Well, it doesn't seem like it. But like, it's kind of fulfilling the it's fulfilling the role of an imaginary friend, right? So, uh, yeah. There's just so many parallels between, like, Conway and Ezra here that we see um, in this section. Yeah. Um, so some of the themes we get from Conway and Shannon's dialogue is that uh, Conway is really struggling at this point, but he is desperate to finish the job. Um, it's his last delivery uh, before Lisette closes up the shop. Um, but he, I think there's, there's the way the dialogue options work here is, like, you can either reinforce determination or, or just say, like, I really need to sit down. Um, like I really need a rest, um, which is, I think maybe the more affecting sort of tone to take after a little while is like, you know, go from determination to like, 
no, 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 I'm seriously tired. I need to fucking lie down. Um, well, it, it's it's like, yeah, you could you could choose either one. I feel like when you choose the answers that are like, no, I'm going to press on, I'm going to press on, I'm going to do this job. It's like getting back to that sermon about the, you know, valor of labor that we uh, we saw in the uh, storage slash cathedral area, right? That it's like, you know, very much making this kind of like titanic effort to continue. Uh, or it could be like more on theme with the song, right? Where it's like, you know, I'm just so tired. Uh, just, I just, I just wish I could go home. I just wish I could rest. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, we get another little one with um, a little bit of dialogue about family. Um, there's a couple of options you can choose here, but like, I think for me, I always choose that like Conley, Conley has a brother who is a banker and these, they're not in contact anymore. Uh, there's a bridges burn there. And I think Shannon just kind of says that like, she's, yeah, she's only, she was only really close to Weaver. Um uh, so I believe, um, if you choose the banker option, um, that is specifically a callback to the death of the hired hand. Uh, the, the Robert Frost poem, uh, that we saw in the previous chapter or in the previous act, uh, because I believe the, the laborer who dies there, uh, the character's uh, the 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 property owner and his wife uh, mentioned his brother and how they're estranged and how his brother's a banker. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah. Um, and then we get like we finally do get to to Truman's house. Um, Shannon is standing in the doorway, and as Ezra comes up, and it's, it's it feels very much like no, I think Shannon actually does say is like, hey, we, geez, we we lost Sidey there for a moment, um, and he's he's just catching up with them and kind of emerging from his imaginative uh, play. Um, Conway's inside, and we'll we'll go in. And this uh, uh, Shannon is like kind of starting to take this um, uh, pater- uh, sort of maternal. A sort of tone with Ezra like they're, they're, they're looking after him now um, but she asks about his family and you get this absolutely fucking like horrific um, emotional sledgehammer of a story that like oh yeah he did have a family but um, they were always worried about their house and then the bank took it away and then we went to live at the bus station and while we were there I would go flying with Julian every night but then one night we came back and they were gone but all their stuff was still there and like, holy fuck, like they got arrested at the bus station while he was wandering off. And like, holy god damn. Like, and it's just he just he just blurts it out and like Shannon's like, uh oh. <laughs> uh, and, and she she does offer to help, like, we'll we'll help you track him down or whatever, but like, fucking hell, there's a lot going on with this kid. Yeah, well, and it's also like he mentions that they lived in a big house. Um, so essentially his story parallels the story of Weaver's family, uh, having that big house, which put them in debt and then ruined them. Um, uh, and, uh, so there's a, there's a parallel to the place where Shannon grew up and where, uh, Ezra grew up. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. Like it's, I don't know, like on my first playthrough, I was just not expecting that kind of fucking sledgehammer blow. Um, but like when this thing decides to fuck you up, it really goes for it. Um, it they do not pull punches at all in this damn thing. But inside Truman's house, then um, 
uh, Conway and Truman are sitting at the kitchen table in the background. Um, there's a TV and a sofa in the foreground with um, Ezra and Shannon. And like, I don't know, it's it's wonderfully presented. Like the, the kitchen is very brightly lit. And just behind it, like you've the um, the, the kitchen units and the, the curtains. But then there's the, the subtle suggestion that there's no wall. It's just the trees behind it. Um, and... Um, Truman is walking Conway through this this little story of like, oh, well, uh, you know, I'm really up to my neck in debt for the medical school because, you know, getting a, a, sp- a scholarship from a pharma company. Um, and he's, he's, he's then talking to him about this um, neuripinol TM uh, that, that we're going to administer to, uh, to begin the procedure. Um, at that point, it then cuts forward to um, it, it like pulls forward to the, the sofa where actually the, the, the fast version of Long Journey Home is playing on the TV. And um, there's a little bit of dialogue there, and like Ezra, Ezra think, thinks of it as a scary um, song, right? It's it's fearful, but like Shannon thinks it's hopeful, or you know, it's, it's some sort of options along those lines. Yeah, um, this may be like the recording of the song that like popularized uh, the song. I'm not sure. Uh, I think so, because like if you look it up on YouTube, like all the other versions, like just from normal folks are all the fast version. Right. But like the only the only person who's ever thought to play it slow was Ben Babbitt, more or less. for for this recording <laughs> seemingly and uh, what a move like it really improves it you know um i guess that's the the thing with a lot of these um the songs that are used by the um by emily ben and bob right that like they're often like they're supposed to be played in this this rapid sort of um folk style but they're they're played they're played more for um uh, in this very uh, very sad slow kind of way um it, it typically on the soundtrack here yeah it's it's more of like a sad country rendition um uh i guess with the exception of um the one in act one right um you've got to walk like that that is played fairly close to the pace it usually is played uh so maybe that's the exception yeah i mean i i think uh they 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 adjust the tempo to what's appropriate for the um for the act that they're they're composing for um and uh this one is uh, extremely bleak uh and uh it's only it's only gonna get bleaker from here uh <laughs> like when, when you hear the fast version it's almost like a looney tunes thing because it's it, it, it like compared to what you've heard already with the the slow bleak sort of version that that sounds like it's more appropriate and then you hear da, 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 and it's like oh, that that just sounds fucking strange um but I guess if you were familiar with the song, you would you would think of it the other way, the other way around. Yeah, well, that's it's 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 just you know a much more hopeful rendition, right? That it's like, oh well, you know, all these misfortunes have have uh, befallen me, but you know, maybe I'll get to go home. Maybe I'll get to go to heaven. Uh, yeah, there's beautiful contrast between the two. But when we shift back to the kitchen table. Um, yeah, we're, he's, he's saying, uh, or Truman is saying, we're going to count back from five and administer the neuropnol TM. Um, 
and it starts to count it, like the, the the way the text distorts as he counts down from five is fucking beautiful um because it, it like grays out and spaces out and goes all fuzzy and weird um as he counts down to one and then the camera starts to drift towards the back of the back wall which isn't actually there and we see that like it is just trees out there and they're shifting weirdly And then the last bits of sort of like very blurry dialogue are Truman saying like, oh, let's talk about billing. Um, and well, you know, recently my pharma company was acquired by an energy company. So we should talk about a repayment structure. And like as as Conway is just drifting into fucking oblivion, basically, and like everything's graying out and you're just hearing the creaking of the woods. Um, it's it's really good. This is visually stunning. Um, and, and I don't know, there's some bit of lev- levity here, and even though it's a grim levity, because we know what's coming. <laughs> you know? Well, it's, so it's, it's like the, the text uh, goes out of focus, uh, and you go through that paragraph of dialogue about, you know, well, the, the power company owns this, the pharma company that makes Neuripnol, and like basically this sen- this horrible sense of like you've been entrapped in debt uh and like there's there's no way out and at the same time the walls just like give way to this void in the background uh so it is you know you get that really like you know that sinking feeling you get in your gut when you made a terrible decision uh, is is mimicked by the the motion of the background just like opening up into the void. Uh, it, it, so it's it's yeah it's it's uh, you know it's like okay well you know Conway is like truly and properly fucked now. Like there's there's no hope for him anymore. He's he's gone down into the abyss. Um, yeah, you're quite right that the, the presentation is nauseating uh, in the best possible way. But I think it's kind of doubly nauseating because, like, I read the text on screen and I don't think Conway heard it. Yeah, it sort of fades out. It's like, uh, something about this, something about that, whatever, you know. Yeah. So it's it's doubly grim because I don't I really don't think he's processing what's going on at all. He's just drifting. Um and that's, I don't know, it, it, this thing fucking hits you real hard when it wants to, you know? Uh, yeah, it's that kind of, like, uh, dissociative uh, trauma response. Yeah, absolutely, right? And that's the end of Act 2. Um, yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, as I said, uh, it was really excruciating to get through <laughs> even though it's very short uh oh, no. you know i i myself am sort of at the point of exhaustion where i can do like one thing a day and then i just basically zone out like i can't function anymore um and and also i'm in a bunch of bureaucracy so like everything that was depicted here was extremely relatable to my current life except for thankfully i mean you know i did just spend a bunch of money on medical treatment but i'm not in debt over it uh so you know it's like (laughs) (laughs) you're not in debt to a fucking energy company over it yeah certainly i'm not in debt to an energy company thank heaven so uh yeah so it's 
you know, everything Conway's going through is more extreme than what my experience has been recently, but it was all still intensely relatable and uh, just, just, just awful to, uh, to go through. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I, I, I had less of a hard time with it, but it's, it's still like, it sucks you in. Like it really does. And I think that's part of the, um, the miracle of this work is that like, it's really fucking good at selling you on the grotesqueries that they're putting on screen. And it's almost like, how can they get away with this shit? Like, what, why isn't this, like, X-rated, basically, because of how fucking oppressive and bleak it is um, at times? And, like... It, yeah, well, I mean, the rating system just doesn't operate on that continuum, you know? Like, like, like I, I feel like the game could have shipped with, like, you know, uh, uh, content warnings about, like, uh, you know... Uh, all kinds of things uh so many things uh but it, it didn't because that's not really what the rating system was set up to do um yeah totally yeah and that there's i don't know i get the impression for me at least there's like i i still ruminate on this fucking game a lot like it's it's in my mind a lot and like but in ways that like uh, you know i still think about some of these scenes but almost in a way that like it's almost as if i haven't quite processed the trauma of experiencing them you know it's just like i i've heard that from a lot of people actually uh who've played it where they're like like so for instance one of the uh youtubers uh that i watch uh quite frequently uh sb uh did a like best games of 2020 uh video recently like it was like late uh <laughs> uh it was a good good while late uh but he did include kentucky route zero on the list and he was just like i can't really summarize my thoughts or feelings about this game right now because it's just too much uh, and I think it's a really common reaction to this because it is just, it's just so heavy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's that feeling of like, I, I, I love this fucking thing. And like, I think about it a lot, but feel weirdly numb to it in some ways, in, in ways that might suggest a suppressed trauma response. I don't know. Very weird. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely, uh, agree um and it's 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 like what do i find so compelling about this scene i can't quite name it oh that's that's my nervous system trying to prevent me from processing the fucking the the event right you know um yeah well and i think we're i think this 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 uh series is interesting because we are going through it bit by bit and sort of like getting to the the nitty-gritty of what makes these scenes work um which I don't think I ever really would have done otherwise. Uh, not just because that's like a common experience with games, but just because it's like, uh, maybe I don't want to dig too deeply into that. You know, <laughs> let's, let's, let's let sleeping dogs lie. Um, yeah, maybe this, this could be, a, this could, this could just be a two part series. <laughs> I'll just drop it here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm signed up. <laughs> you know, it's, this is, uh, oh, fuck. Yeah, uh, you know it's it's like that song in the first act, right? Like, you gotta get there by yourself. Like, you you're on this journey now, Conway. Um, uh, so, yeah. So, I mean, getting into the 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 kind of stuff about like capitalism in this uh, 
chapter or this act, sorry, I keep saying chapter when the chapters are the subparts um, in this act. It's it's all about precarity, right? Um, there's a lot about sort of like bureaucratic irrationality uh, in it as well, but I feel like precarity is a very strong through theme and just that, you know, that sense that like your home could be taken at any time uh, or maybe you don't have a home because, you know, that's not something that is given to you as a right in life. It's 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 a privilege to be able to live in a place under capitalism uh, and everyone is potentially an itinerant um, under the system. And then just that, you know, obviously the medical debt. I mean, this is an American game and especially with covid like. And, you know, the, the Texas disaster that's happened or just like the, you know, forthcoming fires in California or the ones that have already happened, you know, uh, it's it's like just that sense that like, oh, there is no safety net. There's nothing to catch you like you or like even just the sense that like the pharmaceutical industry are a bunch of drug dealing sharks that are out to scam you and manipulate you um, for their own profit. It's like, yeah, uh, just I'm sure something is very relatable to people right now uh, and coincides with so much of what I've been hearing about people just like to a greater extent than ever before, especially people in America feeling like, this is like a cold and heartless country and a cold and heartless system that is driven by nothing other than capitalism. And all of our lives are expendable. And, uh, you know, at any moment you could just have that bad, you could have that bad accident or you could have that bad meeting with a bad doctor or, or you know, a company that maybe was trying to help people in the first place, but then it got taken over by the power company or, you know, a hedge fund or whatever, um, just being at the mercy of impersonal, horrific capitalist forces. Um, I think this this act really, really hits that so hard. It does. Yeah. And it, it's it, it mixes um, it mixes the symbolic with the like just literal like because like we, we go from that symbolism of like the TV station showing something about a bird precariously trying to build its nest, but like, it seems very precarious. And then the hermit crabs having their makeshift homes that they've had to cobble together from, um, bits of office supplies. But then Ezra just literally tells you that like they got kicked out of their house and then they were homeless and then they got arrested. His family got arrested for being homeless. Um, and that's, they're, they're crossing the registers in that kind of way. That's like, uh, they, they hit you on every level, right? And the kind of like implications and symbolic level and the like, no, this is just a nightmare. <laughs> We're just going to tell you about a nightmare. Yeah. Terribly relatable. Um, mm-hmm. Super grim. Um, it's going to get grimmer because um, next time we are talking about <laughs> the second interlude uh, called The Entertainment. Um, it, oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's getting an episode of its own because it's quite chunky for uh, an interlude. It's 
Jesus, I mean, it's over an hour. Like, it could almost be an episode in its own right, or an act in its own right. Um, but it is off the beaten path, so I guess it's uh, it's an interlude. Um, yeah, uh, thanks for listening to us. It's been, it's been lovely. Um, and if, I don't know, if you want to catch up with us in the meantime, we're on Twitter, Facebook, etc. Uh, you can go to generalintellectunit.net. Um, there's a bunch of links from there. Um, you can throw us a couple of bucks a month to help keep the lights on and help keep the, uh, the boys from the power company at bay uh, by going to patreon.com slash generalintellectunit. If you give us five bucks a month, um, yeah, you, you'll keep the uh, the hard times boys away from the door. I mean, I mean, how like how resonant is this with the Texas, you know, brown quote unquote rolling brownouts? Like, I mean, feel like people in Texas were literally put on like brownout super deluxe. Uh, by the fucking power company that is just like purely motivated by profit making. Um, like, it's just like, I feel like this, the whole power company thing was prophetic of what was going to happen. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. You get your, your luxury uh, sustained brownout deluxe fucking package. Um, oh wow. Yeah. Prophetic. Certainly. Um, but in addition to keeping the lights on, you can get access to the community Discord, uh, where we hang around and chat, and it's quite fun. Um, what else we got? Uh, Emancipation.network. Um, check out our sister shows. Swampside Chats, From Alpha to Omega, Mortal Science, and Jumpsuit Utopia. They are fantastic shows. You've been, you've been doing... Is, is the um, Understanding Class stuff out yet? I don't think it is. I don't think so, but it may be by the time this episode comes out. <laughs> uh, so, you know, obviously Tav has quite a backload to work through with the 18th premiere and the other other recordings he's done, interviews he's done with guests. But uh, we are uh, recording uh, actively, as I've said, uh, the uh, Understand Class looks like we're kind of on an every other weekend schedule uh, and... Uh, if you are a uh, patron of Tom or if you just are a, a member of the network, you can just hop on the the YouTube live stream. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, and check out the uh, the raw, unedited discussions. Uh, uh, if, if, if you're really into, uh, uh, yeah, understanding class or just the subject matter there, um, it's worth checking out. Uh, it's It's been a great uh, discussion series so far. Uh, I look forward to keep going into it. We're really digging into sort of like uh, sociology, uh, you know, like what we can take away from non-Marxist sociology uh, and also just like kind of like reckoning with the legacy of analytical Marxism um, as a project which obviously in most ways failed but uh uh which you know we maybe can salvage something from uh <laughs> so yeah like just just really really getting in there and reckoning with this stuff so uh i uh i would definitely recommend uh either checking out the live streams or checking out the podcast when it does come out yeah indeed um yeah i think i've only i've only seen the live stream for for the first session but uh, it was it was certainly looking promising um yeah cool uh well i guess that's it unless i've forgotten something else but uh hey shrug check out the show notes um there might be other links there uh, if i forgot anything and we'll catch you again in a couple of weeks bye-bye bye, -bye. bye.